facts, fibs, and fairy tales. Not to sidebar it too much at this point, because there's way more sidebars later. This hot piece of ass, apparently. Get it. That it just, like, it just exploded. I've, like, never seen jizz like this. She was like, oh, you're not supposed to sleep over on the first date. I was like, yeah, fair enough. But did you ever see her again? Or was that, was that it? That was last night. It was like an audience participation. No. Sort of deal. And, like, you know me. Any attention I can get, I'm going to fucking take. Yeah. Like, that's my currency, his attention. (laughs) Welcome to Facts, Fibs, and Fairy Tales. My name is Matt Sweet, and I am your factual fairy. Um, So, welcome to series six of the podcast. Uh, I've decided to do something a little bit different uh, in that what I'm going to do for this series is a kind of collection of readings from... This book that I'm sure I've talked about, um, or this memoir, really, that I wrote. And, you know, ultimately, it kind of, the fact that it never got published is part of why the podcast exists. Um, yeah, but, you know, it does exist, this this book of mine, and I, I, I'm really proud of it. So I wanted to sort of, essentially, share parts of it with you, because, you know, if it's never going to see the light of day, then I, I'd rather it... At least see the light of the internet. <laughs> um, and I guess the reading that I'm going to do today has a lot to do with what happened yesterday. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to be a little emotional here, but... Uh, whew, the boyfriend and I broke up yesterday, and it wasn't one of those sort of brutal breakups with yelling and screaming. It was one of those sad ones that ends because you both know that you just can't be the right person for each other. And so rather than with a bang, it goes out with a whisper. And that sucks. Um, And I probably won't talk about it a huge amount, I don't think, but to be fair, this evening I'm actually recording the first episode of Series 7, so I suspect it will come up, because, yeah, it's been less than 24 hours. So, yeah, but uh, I did want to put together these readings anyway, so I'm pushing through. And it's very strange to be talking to myself, because I'm not often used to that on this podcast. Anywho, um, the reading I, I picked for today is actually sort of the first chapter of my memoir. The memoir... I mean, the working title is There Is No Secret, How to Be a Fucking Unicorn. Um, And this first chapter is really about me at my darkest and me finding a way through that. And uh, it's also about another breakup that was very similar in that it was, you know, not necessarily anyone's fault. There was no screaming. There was no yelling. It was just... This isn't working. Um, And that sucks. But anyway, enough of me blithering on. I'm just going to jump into the reading here and uh, hopefully get the shakiness out of my voice. Yikes. So this uh, chapter is called Starting from the Bottom. Context clues. I was 29. I had been laid off once in my life already and was currently in a job I didn't want and in an industry I no longer wanted to be in. Three years later, the poison of hating what you do and hating the compromises you had to make had settled in my bones. 
My misery had reached the point where I was a social gremlin, crawling out of the shadows to only offer cutting insults and negative insights. To add to this, my boyfriend was an actor who went on tour, leaving me behind to embrace loneliness in a dark time. And I totally get it. When I read that, I think, ugh, stop whining, you're just the worst kind of person. And that's the thing about depression, it's insidious. More recently, I have adopted the approach of vigilance, where any time I sense an amount of depression, I instead walk myself through the steps to being a unicorn. Also that I never again have to return to the deep, corroding darkness of that bleak winter. So what made that particular winter so damn bleak? Well, my boyfriend John was due to come back from touring for a two-week mini-vacation. Being the dutiful boyfriend I was, I arranged to pick him up at the airport. And this involved the borrowing of a friend's car, being horrified by the price of parking, and enjoying a tasteless and dry airport waiting room sandwich. You know, pretty much all the things people say about the glamour of air travel. Now, John is the kind of guy who doesn't really pull punches. He says exactly the thing that has to be said in any situation. It's also given him the reputation of being a robot, because sometimes he does it with absolutely no sensitivity to the emotional needs of the moment. Fortunately though, this is not the story of him crushing my dreams. It's the story of him using his powers for good. Seeing John come through the doors of that airport was a light in the darkness. Being able to grab a hold of someone you love and share your energy with them is something that too few people have regularly. And those that have it sometimes forget to appreciate. Touching his skin and getting him loaded into the car was like getting 10 minutes of charge when your phone's battery is at 1%. We hadn't even left the car park before I white-knuckle gripped the steering wheel and said, John, I have something to tell you. I think, I think I have to quit my job, even though I have no plan and no new job. And bless him, without a moment of thought, he said, well, yeah, you've hated your job since the moment I met you, and you've been super depressed forever. <laughs> it was like a bolt of electricity burned through my body. Of course, I knew I hated my job, but I didn't realize just how deep in the darkness I was. In that moment, it was like I'd been digging a hole and for the first time in years looked up to see just how deep it had gone. And some of you are thinking, but Matt, didn't someone in all those years not say to you, girl, you're blue? And the truth is, they may have. But like all the best messages from the universe, you only hear them when you're ready, and you aren't screaming to keep out the noise. It didn't help that my, in my family we never talked much about mental illness. Despite copious evidence that we had was, sorry, despite copious evidence that it had was and would continue to ravage my family on all sides for years. Depression in the Thompson Sweet family is the kind of thing that is talked about in whispers, as if it was either a dirty word or something that we all thought was kind of ridiculous. All that to say, John's no-nonsense approach to the subject kind of blew my mind and helped me make a decision that I had been struggling with for weeks. The very next day, I quit my job. And as it happened, it was a remarkably easy affair, really. I had taken the position from my now boss, Jen, and as she grew into her new executive role, she watched as her old job poisoned my heart. Jen is a deeply kind person, and during all my time there, she did her best to alleviate the challenges that made the work hard for me. Jen knew just how miserable I was and knew I had reached a breaking point. In fact, she was kind enough to arrange my departure in a way that would make moving forward a bit easier for me financially at least. With her help, I was able to develop a plan that I had been unable to make previously. I wasn't going to be fine, but it was definitely going to be better. Of course, when the universe has a message for you, <laughs> it usually likes to reinforce it. 
In my mind, I think it does this because it's a little bit upset you didn't hear it the first time. So even as I was starting to see the light at the top of the hole I had dug, the hole got a little bit deeper as well. Within a week of announcing my attention, intention to leave my job, I sensed something was awry with John. Our communication was stilted and an elephant had grown between us while we slept. Being a reasonably intuitive guy, I knew the end had come. The struggle of maintaining a relationship with someone who was always moving from city to city had shattered a relationship that had had cracks in it to begin with. Neither one of us liked to confront the other about the troubles we had with one another. John was hilarious in that he would feel something negative but not be able to identify what it was I had done until many days later. Meanwhile, I suffer from the classic bottling technique. Instead of talking about anything ever, I just shove it in the bottle until at some point I explode. Over the, <laughs> Over the last few days before he returned to the tour, we stopped talking entirely. At night, our cuddling had ceased, and despite the space of inches between us, we couldn't find a way to bridge the gap and say what was on our mind. I remember going to work each day to wander around lost. This was the opposite response expected of someone who had decided to leave. Generally, that guy is bubbling with possibility and a general nuisance to the poor souls they are <laughs> leaving behind at their job. At some point, I was pulled into my boss's office, and I kind of broke down. I told her how awful it was to have finally seen a way out of darkness only to find my support system collapsing around me. And <sighs> she was perfect in her response, as she so often was. She said, Matt, you don't know if this is the end if you don't talk to him about it. Perhaps it isn't, but even if it is, you've learned something from it. So take that and use it. <laughs> and this is advice I had given to everyone else, including her, many a time. It was that most frustrating of dilemmas, where you were forced to follow your own advice or look like a hypocrite. Sometimes the most dramatic moves I have made in my life have been motivated by my need to avoid hypocrisy. It makes my skin crawl to be someone who fights against hypocrites only to, <laughs> only to prove myself to be one. On, Jan on John's last night in the city, we finally talked. It was one of those brutally honest moments in life where you both just look at each other knowing exactly what the future holds. This isn't working, is it? John said. No, I don't think it is, I replied. And that was it. That was all it took for this lovable robot to exit my world. <laughs> Some relationships end in tears. In that feeling of someone reaching into your body and shredding your insides until you feel empty and gasping for breath. <laughs> this one ended with more of a sad sigh, a quivering lip, and a painful hug. <laughs> that night, John and I had some of the best sex we had ever had. There was something powerful about the sense of ending that drove us to connect in a way we hadn't in a long time. The urgency of that connection was visceral, loud, and messy. <laughs> in many ways, it wasn't... <laughs> in many ways, it was the perfect ending for that relationship. It was as if we finally stopped worrying about what we weren't giving to each other, and finally just took what we needed. I look back on John fondly for a lot of reasons, but that one particular night stands out. <laughs> because it was one of the most honest moments of my life. As the sun rose the next morning, I put John in a cab to the airport, and I sat alone in my kitchen staring at the wall. I don't often cry. <laughs> I, 
I work hard to avoid feeling sadness, and as a result of that psychically damaging work, tears are hard. But that day I cried. Looking at the mess my life had become, the lack of love, the lack of future, the disappointing past, it was all too overwhelming. I sat in my kitchen looking at a blank wall and cried my eyes out. <laughs> After, I pulled myself together and walked to work, and the most remarkable thing happened. The sun came out, literally. <laughs> it was November in Toronto, so that was a shocking event on its own. But as the beam hit my face, it was like it broke apart the knot at the back of my skull. Suddenly, tension I didn't even know I had was released. My skin felt looser on my skull, my shoulders dropped down to their most relaxed form, and something like bubbles that had been trapped in my toes broke free and made my entire body tingle. <laughs> at long last, I was at the very bottom of the hole I had dug. I was as deep as I could go. <laughs> and my body took a moment to say, Great, we've got a new project ahead. I'm excited to climb the fuck out of this shitty hole. Thanks for finally catching up with what I've been telling your brain. Next time, don't block out the messages we send, please. Hurt you. <laughs> By the time I arrived at work, I felt rejuvenated. I was smiling and feeling more engaged with the world in general. Reflecting later, I would recognize this as the feeling one gets when you're doing something a unicorn would do. It isn't quite manic joy, but it's a mix of contentment and a hope that refreshes your existence. It's like having a bit of pep in your step, as if walking everywhere was staying alive by the BJ's, Bee Gees stuck in your head. At the time, though, I just reveled in the freedom of the moment and got to the hard work of figuring out where to go next. Through December, I took time to grieve. Sometimes we all need to cry, and nothing makes you feel better than getting it out. When I find a movie that makes me tear up, I buy it immediately. I need all the help I can get to cry sometimes. So for me, that means the films Life is a House, The Queen, and the first Lord of the Rings movie are all on standby. Life is a House makes me weep because it's a perfect reminder that sometimes you can't apologize for the choices you've made, but you can atone with actions. The Queen got me when you see a woman who is so infinitely certain of who she is and what is right change, because we all change even when we don't want to. As for the Lord of the Rings, I don't know if I am Samwise or Frodo, but when Sam refuses to be left behind, it makes me want to love like that so hard it sticks a pin into my heart and makes me weep. So I let myself grieve the loss of John, but refuse the easy escape of wallowing. I did the hard work of self-reflection, looking at all the things I had lost about myself during that time. It was critical that I do this analysis because you can never make a plan without knowing what tools you have available. From the ashes, I resurrected a sense of humor that wasn't entirely vicious and cutting. I am gay, so there is a required edge to my humor that I will never lose, but I did my best. <laughs> Suddenly, I was able to laugh at things that were adorably funny instead of ripping them to shreds and pissing on their corpse. I started looking at where I wanted to go instead of where I had been. I stopped feeling like I was owed something for my pain and instead looked at what I could use from that pain that was positive. I discovered my own resilience in that time. If I could soldier through that darkness with my batteries hovering near dead, what could I do if I engaged in some sexy self-care and got all charged up? With this mindset, the future started to feel filled with possibilities. I was invincible. So I took on the first challenge. 
I examined my skills and started to look at the professional path I wanted to pursue. I confronted the first step by... <laughs> and this is where I confronted the first step to being a unicorn by accident. It turned out to be the best accident I have yet to be involved in. In popular mythology, unicorns are solitary creatures. They're never seen in groups, but glimpsed by wish-seekers in dark forests or on top of lonely mountains. The truth, however, is unicorns are social creatures. They love nothing more than getting together with their gal pals, braiding hair, talking about dicks, and guzzling Pinot Grigio direct from the bottle. And when one of those badass motherfuckers has a tough time, they talk to their friends about it. They declare what has happened and what they need to get through it. And I mentioned my future planning to a friend of mine we call Grabby. Grabby's a magnanimous character who has saved my life many a time. He's a man who has met everyone and is sort of the perfect professional matchmaker. Matchmaker. <laughs> I was looking at transferring my skills into an event planning career. I thought it would be a great change from the world of professional dance and might offer a bit more cash in hand than that poorest of art forms. Grabby took on this information and said, I may know a guy. Let me see if he will meet with you. And this is where it got a bit crazy. Grabby had been on a date once with this man named Trevor. It didn't really go anywhere, but Grabby is a great guy and keeps in contact with most anyone he meets. Trevor was an event planner for one of the bigger event planning firms in Canada. He graciously offered to meet with me and by our third meeting, meeting I had developed my resume to reflect this new sector. He offered to send it off to one of the vendors he worked with so that maybe I could get some temporary work while I tried to find something more permanent. Moments after he sent it, there was a response and suddenly I had a job interview for a permanent position at that company. Within less than a week, I started a new job at Canada's largest and most awarded event design company. And all of that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't accidentally asked Grabby for help. <laughs> Since then, I've gotten much better at asking for help from my people. I think we get too tied up in trying to be the person we showcase on Instagram that we forget we are imperfect. Asking for help isn't bad. In fact, it's exactly the right thing to do if you want to be a fucking unicorn. Dig deep, have courage, and your inner unicorn will provide you with dividends you never imagined. Above all, unicorns make their own luck, and sometimes you just have to get out of your own way and let it enter your life. Whew, a few stumbles in there, but you know, it's that kind of day. <laughs> so that's the, the first part of my memoir. Um, as I was reading it, I'm certain that I've recorded it elsewhere, but maybe I've already sent it out to this podcast. It doesn't really matter. Here we are. We're doing it. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. What I'm going to do is record five other parts of the book, and um, hopefully I'll be less teary for them, but we'll see. Anyway, I hope everyone's having a really awesome Friday, and uh, if you're listening to this not on a Friday, I hope you're having a great day, whatever day it is. But uh, this is Series 6, and I've been Matt Sweet, your factual fairy. And I love you all. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in, listeners. If you want to connect with me, if you want to be a guest on the podcast, you can reach out to me uh, on Twitter at FactsFibsFairy, or on Facebook or Instagram at FactsFibsAndFairyTales, or you can reach out by email at FactsFibsAndFairyTales at gmail.com. When you get home, I would like you to masturbate. Ha <laughs> ha!